Today's episode is brought to you by Chiropractic Mastery. Wouldn't it be great if your spinal problems and misalignments could correct themselves? And if you didn't need the same thing done to you every time you visit the office, best of all, what if your chiropractor could check and tell when your body didn't need any help that day at all? MC2 chiropractors correct nervous system imbalances directly so the body is best able to correct the spinal misalignment on its own. This is done without twisting, popping, cracking, or causing pain. It's so honoring to the body that most people experience a tremendous amount of improvement very quickly, often without the soreness and stiffness that may follow a more traditional chiropractic adjustment. Your chiropractor can find out more by visiting chiropracticmastery.com and checking the seminars tab. And if you're looking for a chiropractor that will custom build the most painless yet effective chiropractic adjustment for you on every visit to the office, go to chiropracticmastery.com and click on the referrals tab. everyone, and welcome to the KiddoCast for Chiropractic Families, the world's first and only podcast committed to normalizing complementary and alternative care, particularly chiropractic care for children by sharing the experiences of the doctors in the trenches. In our time together, we will talk with pillars in the alternative healthcare world to give you the tools you'll need to make positive change in the health of your children today. Simply put, we're here to change the trajectory of modern healthcare. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Bronstein. I'm a pediatric and family chiropractor certified by the Academy Council of Chiropractic Pediatrics and the director of the Beacon Clinic of chiropractic in beautiful Grover Beach, California. Now, first and foremost, guys, I have to apologize uh, for the uh, small hiatus. We've been off for three weeks. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we started traveling again for chiropractic mastery. Dr. Steve and I have been on the road uh, teaching uh, chiropractic uh, technique, uh, total pediatrics, and MC2. Um, and in addition, uh, for those of you guys who are not in the office, uh, we had a little bit of a COVID exposure, and we had to shut the office down for about 10 days per public health department uh, requirements. So um, we've been dealing with that, and as a result, uh, I've been lax on my kiddo cast duties, so I haven't uh, uh, been able to publish uh, like I would have liked to, um, but we still have tons of amazing interviews in the pipeline, and uh, it's time for us to release them. So uh, for the second half of this third season, um, I feel it's extremely valuable and important uh, to introduce uh, my good friend, Dr. Peter Kevorkian, to the podcast. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, Dr. Peter has been in chiropractic for decades. Um, he's highly involved on some of the highest levels in advocacy. Uh, he's one of the, um, the primary instructors in the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association for the CACCP certification. Uh, he's one of my favorite instructors, and he's just an all-around amazing, amazing chiropractor. So uh, leading off the second half of our third season, um, I know you guys are going to enjoy this interview with Dr. Peter Kaborkian. All right, we're live. Guys, I'm extremely excited today to bring to you guys Peter Kevorkian, a friend of mine, an ICPA instructor, and a practitioner for many, many, many years of chiropractic. Um, I'm excited to have Peter on because I've been following Peter's career uh, from afar. I've been a chiropractor now for 10 years, but Peter, you've been in chiropractic for how many years now? Well, I graduated in 1982, so do the math. That's uh, 38 years. There you go. Well, now I feel uh, a little feel. out of sorts because I was born in 81. So you yeah, I know that's, that's disgusting. As long as I've been alive. I mean, and that's great. That's fantastic. It's so awesome to see chiropractors who've been doing this for, you know, uh, that, that long and still at it and still saving lives. Um, I mean, and, and having talked to uh, several chiropractors from your generation, um, those of you who, who knew Larry Webster, um, it's really fascinating to see the evolution of pediatric chiropractic over the you know the last several decades. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your your journey, uh, almost four decades in this profession. Um, can you talk a little bit about what got you started and you know kind of how you wound up to where you are now? Great question, uh, Dan. Um, so prior to being a chiropractor, I was a civil engineer. I was in engineering school, and um, I loved math and I loved science and I was doing great in school, but as I started to look at people who were engineers in their career, I realized this, this isn't my path. I, I didn't want to be sitting at a drafting table doing design uh, my entire life. Um, so around that time, while I was in school, I started seeing a chiropractor for a variety of reasons. That's another story. But as I started getting chiropractic care, 
I started feeling things in my body that I had never felt my entire life. I felt um, more coordinated. I felt more energy. I felt I was doing martial arts at the time. I, I my, my uh, uh, forms and my performance in the, my dojo excelled unbelievably. So I was very curious, not as much as a career, but curious about this this whole idea, uh, chiropractic, uh, what it was. And and every time I would go get my spinal adjustments, my I would ask my chiropractor questions and he would do things. And the answers he gave me were unlike anything I'd ever heard from any caregiver before. Uh, they really admitted his ignorance. I would say, Dr. Kadima, is there logic in, in, in to what you're doing? I said, Peter, the truth is I don't know what I'm doing. And he would adjust me and I said, you don't know what you're doing? He says, well, I know that I'm adjusting you and I know I'm doing that appropriately and scientifically. I said, what I don't know is what your body is doing with that. He said, I don't know if chiropractic care is going to have you um, be able to sleep better, allow you to perform your job better or school at that time better or uh, improve your sex life. What I do know is your body is in a better place, in a better state to be able to do that. That, it, that, that it's uh, more congruent, more, more, more properly uh, functional. And I don't know if I completely understood what that meant. I said, wait, that, that was really an honest answer. And so I, each time I would go and I, and I was intrigued by this different approach and I was feeling so much different. One day I said, what does it take to become a chiropractor? And he started giving me that information. I said, you know, I think this is my life path. Uh, is more, uh, more than curiosity is more like I'm being called to do this. And then, uh, so I pack up things and I or reorganize my life and move out to Davenport, Iowa to go to chiropractic school. And one of the most life-changing events I ever had was in my first day in chiropractic school, uh, the day they collate you, where the registrar comes and the, the financial aid comes and they explain all the stuff and where your locker is and your meeting and your instructors. People came from various clubs and organizations that we could participate in as students and somebody gets up from the philosophy and communications club and does a lay lecture. It's a layman lecture. It's a lecture that you would give patients as though they were your patients and how you were going to explain chiropractic. And that 20 minute talk that the chiropractor did changed my life because I not only understood chiropractic from a visceral standpoint experientially, but cognitively to see the impact that spinal subluxations, misalignments of the spine with related nerve pressure uh, could adversely affect a person's well-being and keep them from being at their potential. Uh, and, I, and I said to myself, I'm going to learn how to do that. And I was a very shy, introverted little boy at that point, you know, uh, 18 years old. I, I, as I look back, 18 years old, I guess I, I thought I was an adult, but <laughs> you're, you're, you're rather young. And, and one of the things that he talked about at that time was how the birth process could very often be the cause of a person's first subluxation and that that could begin to injure the spine at that point in time and keep that body from being totally and completely healthy. And I said, well, doesn't that make sense? And at the end of that talk, I said to myself, wow, if my parents had heard this conversation when I was an infant, my life's trajectory could have been so different by having chiropractic care. So at that point, I committed myself to two things. One, I was going to learn how to do what that guy just did, which is to educate people about chiropractic. And secondly, I was going to know everything that I could possibly learn about taking care of newborns, infants, babies, so that they could have a healthy life and a potential greater than they would have if they had subluxations of the body. Uh, so that was my path in school. I learned patient education. I learned my technique. And it began that, that, that journey of, of wanting to take care of children. And at that point in time, there was very little that actually existed regarding pediatric chiropractic or care of infants and kids. You basically took what you learned as an adult and tried to hone it down to, to doing something to a smaller spine. I graduate and uh, came back to Massachusetts associated with my field doctor, the doctor that, that sent me to chiropractic school. And during that time, I met, uh, who is now my wife, uh, Patty Giuliano. And she had gone to a life university in, in Georgia. And a mentor teacher of hers was Larry Webster. And as a result of my relationship with Patty, I met Larry Webster, began to take some of his seminars. And I said, oh, I need to know everything that man knows. 
And uh, not that you can ever know what anybody else knows, but Larry Webster made a powerful influence on my life. And as I've come to learn on, on uh, not just the people he taught, but the millions of, of children and babies around the world that are getting care. So I learned from Larry, um, from the master, not just the Webster technique, but how to uh, appropriately care for kids. And then began to take uh, my technical knowledge and uh, modify it, change it, transform it into pediatric spine spinal care I studied more in terms of how to take care of babies and stuff that was beginning to be researched uh worked and understanding the cranium and the involvement of the cranium and had uh, developed my skills and my training and being able to to assess cranial involvement uh, particularly in, in children infants and hence my practice grew from there and I, and I and by no means do i consider myself an expert i, I think we are just beginning the depth and understanding of the power of chiropractic care in infants and children. And not, 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 not that any adjustments that we give today are wrong or bad, but we are learning more and more how to do things better and better uh, to more gently, more specifically make powerful changes in, in babies and infants. Shoot. If you're not an expert doc, I don't know what I am. I mean, you said so many things, you know, in this past, uh, you know, conversation that uh, is resonating really, really true with me. I mean, the one thing that you said at the very beginning of your comments uh, that I haven't really heard anybody else talk about is, is this idea that we as chiropractors, quote unquote, really know nothing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love it because we spend so much time, especially my generation, trying to science the heck out of chiropractic. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's important for us to understand and take ownership of a lot of the concepts that we're, we're using in our practices. But chiropractic is so fundamentally different from Western medicine, especially pediatric care, because we honor the body's innate recuperative ability, which is so far beyond the realm of human understanding that uh, the more we try to over-science it, the more we get in the way of that body's innate recuperative healing power. Well, yeah, let's talk about that, just this topic a little yeah. bit. I think it's, it's relevant, even, even for parents, uh, and particularly in this culture, if you look at information and knowledge as, 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 as an accumulation of, of, of stuff, and I'm gonna propose that what a person knows, metaphorically, is inside a circle. So everything that you know is inside a circle and Dan's circle and everything that Peter knows is inside of his circle, Peter's circle. And some parts of our circles may overlap. There are things that you might know that I don't know, et cetera. What you know is inside your circle. What you don't know is outside your circle, the unknown. Your awareness of the unknown, that which you know that you don't know is the perimeter of your circle. You got my, my metaphor? So as I grow in my knowledge, the perimeter grows. The more that I know, the more I become aware of that I really don't know. So as we expand our knowledge base and we actually know more things, we become aware, more increasingly aware how little there is that we really know. Uh, so somebody who really knows a lot, who, who actually says, oh my goodness, they're brilliant, they know so much, they really don't know more than you and I don't know. Uh, so, and I say that only from the standpoint, not to minimize the importance of knowledge, not to minimize the importance of scientific investigation and, and conversation and publishing and research, and all of that. What I am saying is to not attach our ego to it. That's right. Because the moment that we attach that, oh, I know so much, you begin to look inside your circle rather than looking outside your circle. You know, and it's funny that you bring that up because I've learned even in the past couple of years of my career that... Uh, I think the more I try to control the variables, uh, the worse my outcomes are. Um, it's not to say that, you know, the more complicated our patients get and our practice members get, um, the more we need to take account of that, you know, and the types of care plans and the types of adjusting that we're doing. But um, I, I think what makes chiropractic magical is the ability to kind of let go of all those anchors and allow that body to just do what it's programmed to do. I mean, I, I, I'd love for you to talk about what that means in actual clinical practice. I mean, I can tell you, and I know that a lot of my listeners know my history, but you know, the types of kids that I see in my practice right now are so hypervigilant. You know, they're, you know, they're on the sensory processing spectrum. They're on the autism spectrum. They're on the ADHD spectrum, ODD, PDD, anxiety, pandas. I mean, right now with COVID, I mean, my kids are, some of the sickest kids I've ever seen uh, in my clinic in its 10-year history. Um, 
but the more we try to control those variables in my clinic, the worse my results are. And ultimately what, you know, I find works the best with the type of chiropractic that I, that I do, which is straight subluxation based principle chiropractic is to correct those subluxations and back the heck away and just let that neurology do its job to allow those children to heal correctly. Um, I would love for you to share with us what you've seen um, in your career, you know, in your clinic over the past 40 years, you know, what types of changes you've seen in terms of clinical presentations, what types of kids, um, you know, and moms that you've seen and, and what's, what's changed. Can you share with that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, for, yeah, you said a number of things that, that I actually want to speak to. Uh, first, every chiropractor needs to have a clarity of their technical window. Uh, the, the the beauty of chiropractic is that because of its uh, of its approach and its philosophy, it really steps back. And as you said, we adjust the subluxation, then come back and to witness the brilliance and the genius of the body and the physiology. But within that, does not minimize the chiropractor's responsibility to become clinically proficient at what they're doing, to have a system of of investigation of analysis that they can determine where they can give input to the physiology to put a specific force in and be have it be as gentle as possible without an adverse impact into that body so that that, that i'm putting aside to say every chiropractor needs to have clinical competency in that which they're doing and that's part of their training their knowledge their skill and their wisdom uh, and the more that we try to figure out after we put the force into the body, well, what's the body going to do with this? Is the ear infection going to go away? Is the neurological defect going to go away? How's that all going to happen? How, what's it, uh, the less we attach to a specific outcome that, that, or an expectation of the physiology, the, the happier that we're going to be. L like you, Dan, I have, over the last uh, few months, seen more people, infants, babies, children, young adults, adults, elderly, uh, show more stressors than I have ever seen in my entire time of practice. I've never witnessed so, the physiology under so much distress and duress. Um, and I, we could talk about that if, if you want, what I believe is happening and, and the healing that, that the world needs. But in recognition of that, people need to make sure that their spines get adjusted because the patterns of adaptation that people are going to attempt to go through through this extremely stressful time is going to stay locked inside the physiology, locked inside of the neuroskeleton, and is going to adversely affect their, their, their health and well-being for their entire life. Uh, so people need chiropractic care more than ever. In terms of what I've come to witness within my practice, many of the children that, have, first I, I gotta share a story that will so give you an outline of my practice. Um, a number of years ago, I had a, a mom bring me a child whose uh, son about seven, eight years old had nystagmus. He had a crossing of his eyes. And he comes in and I explained to her, uh, just like I would do today, that I don't know if chiropractic care is gonna straighten his eyes. Uh, I do know that a body is always better off with good nerve energy than bad nerve energy. And what we're going to do is make sure that there's good nerve energy in the body, that the communication between the brain and the body and the body and the brain is improved by ensuring the spine is free of nerve interference, what we call subluxations. As I explained that to her, what the causes could be, the causes could be you know, intrauterine, it could have been through the birth process, it could have been false, who knows where it came from. The body's always better off with, without it than with it. And as I explained to her what was happening, she says, well, Peter, this all makes sense to me and I want you to take care of Jonathan, but, but if what you're telling me is true, that it would be prudent to have my other two children, one older, one younger, also under chiropractic care. I said, absolutely. So I checked Jonathan, then I checked the, the, the other two siblings and I checked mom and I checked dad and the entire family began care. Well, uh, Jonathan, who, like I said, he was about seven, eight years old, was scheduled for surgery. Uh, and it had already been to six different medical professionals saying that there was no other option, that he needed to have surgery to, to righten what was going on. Uh, it was a rare form of nystagmus. And as he starts getting adjusted, every time that he would come in, we would all witness improvement in his gait, improvement in his tracking with his eyes, improvement in terms of language. And over the next three weeks, we saw tremendous dramatic changes. Family noticed changes. Uh, parents, grandparents started seeing changes. And they had a, a, an appointment with their medical physician. And the medical physician did his exam. And he says, excuse me a minute. He redid the exam. 
He says, excuse me, he redoes the entire joke. He says, in all my years, Mrs. I don't want to say her name. He says, I have never seen a child with this type of nystagmus ever make a change. So she comes in and she reports this to me. So now he's, he's a month, five weeks into care, somewhere like that. And she says, uh, Peter, I got to tell you, they're not going to need to do surgery. The doctor's never seen this happen before. Oh my God, it, it, it's amazing. And, and I said, and I looked at her at the mom and said, isn't it a miracle what can happen when the intelligence of the body is allowed to do what it's designed to do? And she said, she looked at me and, and I wanted to cry after she made this comment. She said, Peter, the real miracle isn't what happened to Jonathan. I said, what do you mean? I said, the real miracle, pointing at her other two kids, are the problems these two are not going to have because they're getting their spines adjusted from a young age. And I said, this is a mom who really got what my whole mission was. I said, the goal is not to find miracles happen that we can see, but allow the miracles to happen that are natural that we don't see, the silent miracles, you know, the, the conditions and the problems that don't occur as a result of a spine being free of interference. So I'm going to tell you that the bulk of the children that I take care of in my practice are silent miracles, because most of the people who come in as an adult bring their children in before they have problems, before there's a condition, before there's a neurological defect, before, but as soon as they come out through the birth canal. And that is the real magic of chiropractic care. Yes, I've seen all sorts of neurological defects change. Kids with autism show positive changes. Kids with colic and bedwetting have those symptoms go away. Uh, kids with uh, uh, you know, uh, learning disabilities and inability to, to, to crawl properly, ear infections. I mean, yes, I've seen literally every medical condition show improvement, sometimes remission, but it wasn't the result of chiropractic care. It was the result of a body that was working at its potential. And you know, before you, before you proceed, Peter, I, I got to tell you, you know, I was talking to Armand a couple of weeks ago and we had a conversation that was so strikingly similar. Um, he was telling me a story that was so strikingly similar and it really resonated with me. And for those of you guys who are listening to this episode, you'll have heard Armand's episode already, but I have to tell you, well, I'll have you on the blower. This is the exact same thing that happened to my dad about 10 years ago. It was crazy. He drove a truck for 10, uh, sorry, 40 years. The guy has a disgusting MRI, just all sorts of disc space, narrowing, degeneration, arthritis, whatever, um, subluxated up the hilt. And when I was in the middle of chiropractic college at LACC back in like 2008 or 2009, it must have been 2009 because I was in clinic. Um, my dad calls me and says, hey, you know, I woke up, my eyes are crossed and I can't uncross them. You know, what, what can I do? Um, he ended up going to see a neurologist. The neurologist thought he had a brain tumor. He went to go see his primary care physician. And the guy thought he needed to go do like physical therapy. You know, he went to go see a special optometrist who put him in prismatic glasses. Like nothing worked. So he finally reached out to me and said, hey, can I maybe come and see your chiro? Do you think he would help? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, what's the worst that could happen, you know? Goes to see my clinician and two adjustments later and his eyes totally go back to normal. And at first when I was a student, I was like, yeah, right. You know, this is nonsense. But the more that I, I communicate with Kairos like you who've been in practice for years, the more I recognize that this is the norm, right? This is what we see on a daily basis, whether it's, you know, crazy, you know, symptomatic change, or even like you were talking about those silent miracles. I mean, we all have these daily cases where you just are mind boggled by how, how crazy chiropractic is and how well it works. So um, thanks for sharing that story. Continue. Sorry for interrupting. Not, 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 not an interruption at all. So my goal with practice members is to have them recognize that the, everybody is better off with good nervous supply. Um, and having said that, we, we tend to live in a very pathogenically fo focused world. We become focused on the pathogen that is going to invade and harm us. COVID-19 is a huge example of that. We've become so focused at wanting to rid the world of a pathogen. You aren't going to do that. As a matter of fact, the more energy that we put to try to eliminate it, the more that we create distress around it, the, the more dysfunction that we have in our world. I'm going to propose to chiropractors, and this is part of, of what my professional mission is, is that we can't look at a subluxation the same way. Because if we begin to look at the subluxation also as a pathogen, then in some ways as we put our focus, energy, and attention on and become fixated on that, we actually hold that vibration even more within our world. The things that we put our attention toward is what we tend to move toward. The, the, the things that we give our attention to 
are the things that we are in creation of. So I, I, I propose to caregivers and clinicians that rather than focusing on that which we want to eradicate, let's focus on what we wish to create. And if the, what we wish to create is a better nerve supply, then what we need to do as clinicians is look at what allows us to ensure that there's better nerve energy within the body. The body is in a greater state of ease. The body is in a greater state of adaptability. The body is in a greater degree of flexibility. The body is in a greater degree of breath and expansion. The body is in a greater degree of capacity of love and compassion. That those are the spaces that bring healing into our world. That that's what we wish to put our attention on. Because I see lots of parents who come with children and they say, oh, my child has got blank. They, they, they have autism or they have neurological defects or they have colic. And what, what, they, what, they, what tends to happen in my practice initially is they say, oh, yes, they have colic, but they have the subluxation condition. And I want you to treat that subluxation condition. And that to me becomes just as pathological in the big picture as focusing on the colic. We've taken just one step away from it and, and looking more a little bit more at function. But rather than viewing the subluxation as a pathology, it's a phenomenon that occurs in the body's attempt to integrate forces that have come to the body that it can't fully adapt. That when a force comes to the body that it can't fully adapt to it, whether that's a position in utero, the birth process, a fall accident or injury, a motor vehicle accident, being you know, a, a stress that, that, that's incurred by, by parents not being in, in a favorable relationship, who knows what it is, that gets locked within the neuroskeleton because it has an inability to process that force. And as it's locked within the system, it did that not to harm the body, but because it couldn't integrate the force. If it hadn't done that, something worse would have occurred. Something would have been more damaging to the person. And what we're really trying to do as chiropractors is to put a force into the body so it could take that which is stored in the body and learn from it and integrate it. So it comes into a greater degree of understanding. And once that understanding occurs, the body will dissipate what it no longer needs. So from a clinical standpoint, I really believe that what, where our techniques are evolving toward is, is this direction. It used to be when I was in school, oh, you found a subluxation. Oh, the leg is short. Oh, it, it, it changes when they turn their head or that muscle is like this or a joint is locked. And, and the focus began, I'm going to write that wrong. But rather than viewing that those indicators are telling us that there's a wrongness, it gives us a snapshot or a window in terms of how the physiology is holding the, an experience that it couldn't quite understand and integrate. And what we're trying to do is to put a force into that so the body can say, oh, and through a very gentle process begins to unwind, dissipate, discharge what it no longer needs, no, no longer needs to hang on to. It comes into a greater degree of self-awareness and self-presence at that time and its healing potential is, is expanded. So it's, it's, it's not just flowery words. I believe that this is the direction of evolution of our science. It's the direction of evolution of our profession where so much of our focus has been pathogenic. And we can see the dysfunction of that, particularly right now with COVID-19. We're focusing so much on the pathogen and not on trying to create vitality in the body. Mm. The, uh, the human immune system is seen much worse than COVID-19. The human immune system has dealt with much worse damage and trauma than anything that's being caused over the last three, four, five, six, 12 months. I think we need to strengthen our physiologies to be able to adapt to the things that are happening in our world. And rather than trying to fix or cure something, let, let's just empower the body. And one of the greatest degrees of empowerment is first to allow a body to know how strong it is. Allow a body to come into recognition that it has that power and that strength through education and then apply forces the chiropractic adjustment specifically and scientifically applied to allow that body to become in a better state. I'll tell you, Dan, I don't know what you've witnessed in your practice, but right now I, I've, I've been in practice 38 years and I've always had kids in my practice. And when COVID-19 hit, particularly here in the Northeast, whew, lots of people just stayed at home. They were all good doobies. They, they sheltered in place, didn't come out, and I had many people who still did, who've realized this is an important part of my life. But there are many people that didn't, that don't vibrate at that place. And, 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 and my practice dropped a bit. And many of them now over the last month, six, eight weeks have, have started to come back. And my practice is probably about 90, 95% to what it usually is. But the population that is most hesitant to walk back into my office are my kids. The three-year-olds, the eight-year-olds. 12 year olds, three to 15 years of age. They are in such a state of fear. Their parents want them to come in. Mm. Their parents are saying, we need to go see Dr. Peter. 
we need to go 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 get your spine checked. They said, I'm afraid the COVID is going to get me. They don't want to walk out of their homes. Mm. It's not that they don't want to come here. They don't want to be anywhere. Mm. They're so fearful. And this is the fault of our culture, our media. We have damaged these this generation so dramatically in terms of being afraid to be in connection with another human being. We are social beings. To be fearful of breathing the air. I said, this is, in my opinion, one of the most destructive things that has ever hit the human phys- the, the human species is not the virus, but how we are processing the virus. How, yeah. how, you know, I think about this all the time because I have a 12-year-old daughter. You know, She just found out that she's not going back to school in August. And um, you know, we're trying to reconcile all the crazy psychosocial fallout that is coming uh, down the pike. I mean, it's already oh. had a huge effect just by kids being on summer break, but I can't imagine what's going to happen, you know, in, in the future. Um, I want to, I want to take, a I, 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 I need to add to this, not that I want to be a purveyor of bad news, Yeah, go ahead. but I have a person who's involved in uh, 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 psychotherapy yeah. uh, and get, works a lot with uh, children and teens, uh, predominantly women, but uh, she, um, she said right now there are more teenagers hospitalized in the United States of America for attempted suicide than ever in the history of the world. I mean, it's it, clearly COVID is, it's shining a microscope on a problem that already existed, right? It's okay. exacerbating this, this issue that our children are gonna have to contend with um, for the rest of their lives. I mean, I, in, in my health talk, I talk all the time about how statistically our children will have a lower life expectancy than we will because of all the crazy stuff that they're being exposed to. Let's call them what they are, stressors, um, whether that's trauma, toxicity, thoughts, or, you know, I had a fourth T, tech, right? Because that's a huge contributor to stress now too. Um, but they're being confronted with a whole host of different stressors and issues that even I never had to deal with. And certainly you never had to deal with when you were coming up. Um, I want to, I want to crank down on this a little bit because, you know, again, having been born in 1981 as sort of like an exennial, you know, crossing that sort of bridge between generation X and millennial, um, you know, I experienced, you know, my own forms of stressors, but I can't imagine how much things have changed since you first got into private practice and where we are now, you know, you're talking about seeing kids on the autism spectrum. I mean, I've only been in practice for 10 years, but I've already seen a huge growth, an explosion in children on the spectrum in the past 10 years. Sensory processing disorder, forget about it. Like every single kid in my practice has sensory processing issues, right? Um, with all of my babies, I mean, in, in the age of COVID, my practice has absolutely exploded with colicky and acid reflux babies, like more so than I've ever seen in my practice at any one time. So, um, so tell us, Peter, you know, what, what do you think has changed in the past 40 years with regards to our kids, you know, and where do you think, you know, things are going, um, you know, COVID notwithstanding? Um, yeah, there, there, there are a number of issues behind what, what you just spoke about. Uh, some of them are, are, are chemical. I believe the chemicals that we have uh, subjected our body to in the air, in our water supply, and in our environment are it's frightening the the number of toxins and chemicals there are some forever chemicals um uh, for, for instance back uh when i was uh in my teenage years a substance came out so that it, it, things wouldn't stick to pans when you cooked with them teflon and and that chemical that they used to do to to create that uh has created it was the process of creating a substance that cannot be processed by our physiology. And it is speculated that every human being on planet earth now has that chemical inside of them. We have no way of knowing the ramifications of that. We have no way of knowing what happens with the petrochemicals that we're breathing in constantly. We have no way of knowing the radiation fields that we're being constantly bombarded with. I mean, it used to be high tension lines 
to carry power uh, across the country, they, 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 they realized, I mean, we, science has always known that when there's a flow of electrons down a wire, there's a magnetic field perpendicular to that. So you have these high tension lines carrying loads and loads and loads and loads of power down the line, loads and loads of electrons traveling that creates a magnetic field perpendicular to it. They've, they've been able to witness that there are greater incidence of cancer in towns that those high tension lines would, would go near or the, the crops that would be growing underneath them. So how does this affect us? We don't know. Personify that by the level of stressors that, that, that are, fit, fit, are, are fit into our lives right now. Stressors through the media, the, the, the stuff that's being told to us. Back when I was growing up, yeah, there was newscast, but the news came on once or twice a day. Now, literally all day long on your phone, you have something that, oh, alert, alert, alert. And there's an alert for the weather. There's an alert for you know, the stocks going down. There's an alert for everything. And unless you turn all the alerts off, we are over communicated. There's so much stimuli coming to us in that environment. Then the whole thing, you mentioned tech itself, just sitting in a forward flex posture, looking at screens all the time, that makes an adverse effect. So, so what is it? It's everything, you know? That's the downside. The positive side is the ability of the human organism to adapt is unbelievable. And that's, we cannot minimize the capabilities of the human body to physiologically integrate and adapt to the world is beyond our fullest capability to understand. That's what we need to enhance and that's where we need to focus our energy. Putting that conversation uh, on pause, we also become, uh, have become so vigilant at trying to see aberrations to deviance from what we call normal that everybody's got a pathology. So there are things today that get diagnosed that weren't being diagnosed 25, 30, 50 years ago because they weren't trying to look for things. It's like the smarter we get, the sicker we are because we, we, we begin to we begin to measure things that are what we consider this normal and nobody really lives in that normal place. But we're looking at these variants and we're saying, oh, this is pathological. Oh, this is pathological. Oh, this is deviant. This is the way it should be. And this is the way it's not. And we're sending so much energy looking at things that are in a wrongness we need to take more energy and start putting it into rightness. And, and, and as trite as this sounds, the, the, this is, I believe, the biggest job that I have with the parents that are bringing in their kids, they have a neurological, what they're calling a neurological defect, is that there is nothing wrong with your child. Your child is doing everything perfectly right based upon the amount of information that's available into that physiology at any moment in time. What would happen if we enhance that degree of information? What would happen if we could turn down some of the noise that's inside that system? I said, this is not a wrongness. It's, it's an ability of the body to integrate all the information that's coming to it. Give the body's capability to do that. Allow it to assimilate the, that stimuli the way that it assimilates food. The body can only be in a better place. So, so a lot of it is coming into recognition, not that there's pathology. Yes, there will always be pathology if that's what you're looking for. It's, we, be, we need to look at not pathology as being a wrongness, but what it is, is an adaptation of the physiology. And what we want to do is enhance that body's ability to adapt, give more information into the system and allow the body to integrate what it, what, what it was failing to fully integrate at that moment in time. Yeah, I mean, what you're describing is salutogenesis, which is the swan song of the ICPA for as long as I've been involved. And it basically thrusts uh, into, into the spotlight a completely novel concept for most, um, I mean, I can't speak for people outside of the United States, but in North America, I mean, we put such a huge emphasis on pathology because of how inundated we are by direct-to-consumer advertising, by, you know, our, our for-profit healthcare system, et cetera, that, um, you know, our, our patients and practice members, you know, erroneously assume that health comes from the outside in, right? Right. Chiropractors know better. Um, and we've known better for 120 years, which is why we practice differently. It's not about correcting problems. It's about removing interference. And that's, again, why it goes all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation, Peter, where I think the best work that chiropractors do is just getting out of the way and letting our patients and practice members' nervous systems do the heavy lifting. 100%. Right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, a little bit about, you know, your work with, with ICPA. We do have doctors who listen to this podcast who share them with their patients, but, um, 
I think one of the things that I talk about very frequently in my practice is, you know, our participation in practice-based research networks with the ICPA. Um, as a researcher who was involved in public health before I became a chiropractor, um, research is extremely important to me. And, um, you know, having been involved in the ICPA now for, I mean, geez, almost, almost 10 years, almost as long as I've been in private practice and seeing the work that you're doing, the seeing the work that Joel's doing, you know, seeing the work that all of our faculty members are doing to try to expand the footprint of the ICPA. Um, it's, I think it's absolutely vital. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, you know, kind of what you're, you're doing in your coursework and um, for anybody who's listening as a doctor, you know, why do they need to come and hear from you? Well, uh, let's, the three parts of the ICPA, and I'll speak to all, all of them. Um, first, from a consumer standpoint or a patient standpoint, the ICPA has lots of information for public education. Um, so they, they have a phenomenal magazine, Pathways Magazine, uh, which is available digitally as well as in print form, is uh, an outstanding magazine, particularly for families, young families that want to explore and understand uh, optimizing their child's well-being. It's not just a chiropractic magazine. It's about taking the ideas of, from a philosophical standpoint, this idea of salutogenesis. What can we do to create wealth, uh, well-being? What can we do to create vitality, create more life? And so we look at everything from birthing and parenting to education and uh, diet and uh, you know, carriers, and all from a salutogenic perspective. So Pathways Magazine is one of the tools that we have for uh, the public for patients to enhance their understanding and becoming more responsible to their children to enhance the well-being of their kids. Um, a, another aspect where uh, the consumer can utilize ICPA is actually finding a chiropractor. Uh, the uh, 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 doctor search within the ICPA website, it's ICPA letters, ICPA number four kids, dot com um, or dot org either one uh, right now will take you to the same place you can search for a chiropractor that has been uh, that is either a member of the ICPA the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association or you can also see the level of training that they've had through the ICPA uh, is also listed there so the referral directory when I need a referral for a patient of mine in another part of the world it's the first place I go to look is uh, you know the ICPA directory so from a consumer standpoint there's lots of data and information uh, from a chiropractor standpoint, the ICPA offers training. The, the training for chiropractors is focused in their certification program, which is a year and a half training, some online, some in live person that enhances a chiropractor's ability to evaluate a, a, a child, an infant, a toddler, and most effectively determine how the best way to adjust that child. Um, in an optimal way, in a salutogenic model, and all the other pieces that support a family practice, whether it be education, research, neurological disorders, nutrition, that, that's all a, a, a package to enhance the well-being of the chiropractor being able to deliver the goods in family practice. And probably the onset of that is the Webster technique. Larry Webster developed a protocol for adjusting women during pregnancy that allows the pelvis to be in one of the ideal positions structurally, biomechanically, as well as neurologically and neurophysiologically to allow the birth to be the easiest, most comfortable for the baby and for the mom. So all of that is the, is the training for ICPA. And then the third division of ICPA is um, research. As a matter of fact, the largest single component of our budget goes toward research. And the research of ICPA is actually exploring and moving in directions that healthcare needs to, and much of healthcare doesn't, which is to do a research and understanding the impact that chiropractic care makes, not just to fixing problems, conditions, or spines, as much as it is, what does it do to enhance the adaptability and the physiological capability of the human organism? So within that place, that salutogenic idea, uh, salutogenesis means giving birth to life. We're researching and wanting to see how, what chiropractors do, it, improves the quality of life and the expression of life within uh, people's physiologies. One of the areas that we utilize in that, as you just mentioned, is the practice-based research network, the PBRNs, which is part of the core research division of ICPA, as well as there are other things. There are other in-office studies. We're looking at force applications into the body. We're looking at uh, changes that happen during pregnancy in terms of different technical applications. So there's a, there's a, a breadth of technical, uh, of uh, 
research that we're engaged in, one of the things that we realized was deficient within the healthcare system at large is determining benchmarks of quality life assessments during pregnancy and in infancy. They already exist in adults, but there are really are very, very few of any accepted benchmarks of determining quality life improvement in during pregnancy as well as in infancy. So ICP is part of creating that. So it's, it's actually going to be very exciting over the next you know, five, 10 years that we'll actually be contributing to the body of knowledge, not just within chiropractic, but within the healthcare community to elevate the ability to quantify, codify, and research quality of life improvements through pregnancy and infancy. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you, you said that whenever you have somebody, you have to refer uh, to a chiropractor, the first place he goes to the ICPA registry. I'm the exact same way. You know, I want to see where their training is. I want to make sure that they've put the work in to be able to care for pregnant moms and babies uh, with a standard of care that is well accepted by other chiropractors to do this work. Um, I think it's important that healthcare consumers recognize that when they go to see a chiropractor, there is a difference between, you know, seeing Joe Schmo back pain and, you know, the folks who have spent time, you know, doing, doing this really, really important work. Um, you know, your, your course was the last course that I took on my path to my certification. And it was a good bookmark. It was a really good bookmark, really beneficial because the work that you, you really brought to the surface was how to tie everything together you know, how to craft a family practice in a meaningful way. Um, because you go through, you know, all 200 plus hours of the ICPA certification program and you're learning exams and you're learning adjusting techniques and you're learning research and you're learning science. But being able to tie all of that together really made a lasting impression. Um, and I'm sure it made a lasting impression on many, many, many other chiropractors that you've taught over the years. Um, what was I going to say? Um, Peter, for for parents um and we'll we'll end today with with this for parents who are listening to this um if you can impart you know one one piece of advice um you know if they're raising their their kids let's say mom is pregnant for the first time or perhaps mom just had a baby or has a small child at home um maybe a little bit listless because of covid maybe a little bit listless because um you know they're not getting a lot of information from their pediatrician not getting a lot of information from their obstetrician what one piece of advice do you think you could impart on them to give them hope and to help them through this process of parenting um i'm going to do two Okay. One that's from the, very much the inside, and one's from the outside. Uh, the one from the inside is trust your intuition. I believe that all of us, not just some of us, all of us have a very, very, very powerful intuitive sense. It, in my opinion, it is as real as any cognitive process that we have, our ability to calculate, our ability to, to, to read, our ability to, to speak language. It's as real as any physiological process, is as real as our heartbeat or digestion. <clears throat> we all have a very powerful intuitive sense, but our culture does not nurture it. But we all know that it happens. We all have that, oh, I should have just listened to what my gut told me. I believe that every parent has a bond and connection with their child, unlike that child can have with any other human being. To trust their intuitive sense as to who can best care for my child, who can best love my child, and not to worry about what the logic tells you, not to worry about what, what the, uh, the media tells you, not to worry about what even doctors tell you, not to even worry about what your chiropractor tells you. Listen to what your soul tells you. What is the right thing for my baby? What allows me to feel that they, there's trust, what, there's openness, there's breath. I believe the thing that has happened to parenting is parents are trying to, to, to over-sanitize and over-analyze their kids. We need to come back into that place of trusting your intuition. Birth is a dirty process and life is a dirty and messy process. We got to come into recognition of that. And so trusting your own intuitive sense in terms of what's right, what's wrong, don't ever let anybody else take that away from you. The second thing is bring your babies, bring your children, bring your husbands and wives to chiropractors. Uh, bring them to a chiropractor, allow them to evaluate your spine and nervous system. And not just so that they fix something that's broken, but so that you can become part of a family, of going someplace 
to enhance the breadth of your family, to do something on a regular basis to build the well-being of your family. You know, we go very often as families to churches so that we develop the, the spiritual connection within our, uh, within our family unit and to those that have a similar value structure and, and religious or spiritual belief. When we go as a family to places on vacation to bring in celebration and joy of the, of the gifts that we have in our world. Let us as a family go to a caregiver to enhance the well-being of our lives, not to fix something that's broken. We typically think of going to doctors just when we're broken and we need to be fixed. I'm going to propose that it, it, we bring a degree of healing to our family by coming together as family and going to a caregiver who can do nothing that can harm you, can only allow your body and physiology to vibrate at a higher level. I can begin to make that part of our ritual, not a discipline, but a ritual within our lives. The same rituals that we have to pray before a meal, to come together as family, to be honest in integrity, to, to exercise regularly, allow us to go to a caregiver, a chiropractor, to enhance the well-being of our family. Beautiful, beautiful, great advice. And it's, it's ironic. Well, maybe it's not ironic because, you know, we all learn from the same people, but uh, that's basically the same advice that I give to my parents, you know, use your intuition. It's so important. Like the mom sense is real, right? The, the, the sort of sixth sense that gives you that special intuition to know what's right and what's wrong, you know, with your children. Um, you know, I mean, it brings them to the chiropractor's office in the first place because chiropractors tend to answer those questions in, in the most innate way possible, right? Versus, you know, in my experience, a lot of pediatricians who um, tend to negate or minimize a lot of moms and dads, um, you know, concerns, difficulties. So Peter, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this Tuesday. We really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your wisdom and your experience with all of our, our listeners. Um, for parents um, who are in your neck of the woods, um, and for doctors for that matter, who want to come and learn from you, where can people get a hold of you? Um, okay, so a few ways. Uh, my I actually have a website. The website is primarily for my ICPA students, but they could go to drpeterkevorkian.com, D-R, Peter, P-E-T-E-R, Kevorkian, my name, K-E-V-O-R-K-I-A-N.com, and you can, they, they, you can connect there. Or my direct email is Peter K-D-C. My name, Peter K for Kevorkian, D for doctor, uh, and C for chiropractic, Peter K-D-C at Gmail. Those are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. Or you can go to icpa 4 and find me there. Um, real easy to find. Awesome. Thank you so much. And if you're a doctor, do not hesitate to get to one of Peter's seminars when things start to open up again. You guys are teaching in person now, right? Yeah, we're uh, open. Some of our classes are now open um, uh, because we can't cross the border. Uh, all of our Canada classes, many of our Canada classes had to be, be done online. Uh, and the people who are teach who are from Canada can't come over the border. So those are done online. So, so we're not 100%. Uh, in person yet and there are some restrictions in some lo localities with uh, numbers of people that can be in the class and some restrictions on in terms of travel and, and uh, quarantining so so not all classes are are, are live yet uh, but go to the website that's kept very much up to date awesome peter thanks again thanks so much My for pleasure. spending time with us we really appreciate you being here and uh, hopefully i'll get a chance to connect with you in person again real soon 100 percent. thank you dan thank you for your great work Bye, Peter. Bye-bye.